welcome to this Diversity and Inclusivity Finance Forum podcast. Working for difference, making business better and fairer. The DIFF series of podcasts is aimed at helping people from underrepresented groups get into and get on in the mortgage and protection industry. And to help everyone understand why genuinely prioritizing diversity is good for all of us individually, good for your business, and good for the mortgage market as a whole. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals participating and not necessarily of their respective companies, either past or present. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Diversity and Inclusivity Finance Forum podcast. Today, we will be exploring what pinkwashing is and the opinions and thoughts of those within the LGBTQ plus community on this matter. As well as giving a brief history of Pride and discussing its relevance today, we will also discuss policies that can be implemented across the board to increase inclusivity within companies. So, to begin, if I introduce our first speaker of the day, we have William Lloyd Hayward, Group Chief Operating Officer of the Brightstar Group, and Hannah Odes, Corporate Account Manager of United Trust Bank. Will, if you would like to introduce yourself and give us a bit of background on your journey in the industry and your experiences. Thank you much, Luke. Uh, Yes, so I joined the industry way back in 2012, leaving the popular world of politics to join the equally popular world of financial services. And I I started in Brightstar. I was the first administrator within the business. And in the recent years, I've worked through various roles from spending four or five years working as PA to Rob Jupp, and then moving into my operations role that I have now. And I've sat on the board now for the last three years. And my journey on that side has been incredible. And the, the open and supportive nature of our business has allowed me to do that. For me, in, in, in recent years, as my marriage to my husband and, and meeting my husband and all those issues that have come out in terms of carving out the next stage of my life personally, the issues that I maybe didn't necessarily understand or appreciate when I first joined the industry have, have sort of come to mind, really. I officially came out as, as much as I hate that phrase back in 2016. And I think that's one of the issues that the LGBT community has in terms of the phrases and the milestones and people's impressions or interpretations. And I came out in 2016, but never really felt I needed to. You know, my my sister never had to have a coming out announcement and I didn't see why I had to. So there was nothing other than close friends and family, me being honest about who I was with them. And everyone else sort of found out in that sense. But my journey on the industry side was really different from the sense that I speak about role models. And it's amazing in terms of the efforts that have gone into improving young people coming into the industry or finding more women that can have senior roles in the industry. And I speak a lot about how it's amazing that we've got role models for those people to look to. You know, young girls and young women who can look at strong women that are having great roles within their businesses and helping shape the industry. New young people and people from the Bain community. It's easy or easier for people to identify role models and strong role models to see and look up to or find as support or, or counsellors for themselves. It's not as obvious for the community, for people that are within the LGBT groups to understand and to see someone. And I started coming to terms with my sexuality soon after starting with Bright Star. And there wasn't an obvious person I could see where my role could be with the industry. Would I face 
barriers that were there or silent or hidden. And so I'm really keen that I've tried to focus on is I am who I am and it, it you know being gay doesn't define me, it's part of what I am. But I want to hopefully try and find a, create forums and opportunities where people can see role models. I look at the work that Claire Jupp has done within our business as being a strong role model for women in the industry. And hopefully we can start to broaden those role models across the the LGBT community to really provide the support for those that maybe aren't as, as, as confident or maybe are going through those struggles, which their workplaces aren't necessarily built to support them in. Fantastic. Yeah, totally agreed. Implementing those policies across the board is absolutely vital to see the industry continue to grow in the way it is. Hannah, would you mind giving us a bit of background on yourself and your experiences? My name's Hannah Oates. I'm the corporate account manager at United Trust Bank. And I started the industry, I can't remember if it was 2017 or 2018, but I finished my degree in psychology, recognised that I was not going to be a psychiatrist, uh, and joined the financial services industry for my sins. And I first of all started in the sort of sourcing fintech world at 27 Tech, where although it was a very small company, I think it was very inclusive and very open. I, I never sort of had the same experience of will of having to sort of hide or, you know, come out or anything. I was gay from the moment I walked in and everybody was welcoming, understanding. So that was sort of a, a great experience as an entrance to the industry. And then from there, I was pinched by UTB who I think offers a great range of individuals. It's a very diverse workplace. It's very open. They've got a huge, huge focus on diversity, inclusion, culture, togetherness, all of us being part of one, but also celebrating all the differences between us. So I suppose my journey coming into the industry much later on has seen quite a different tale or different story to Wills. But yeah, really hope that by talking about this and raising awareness and educating people, it will help people within and outside of the industry understand the experiences of those that are not mainstream, I suppose is the best way to put it. Absolutely agree. So kind of on that educational note, I'll just quickly offer a kind of a history of Pride in terms of obviously it came from or the movement began in 1969 in New York City when the Stonewall Inn was raided by the police, of which sparked riots across the city, which lasted six days, serving as a catalyst for the gay rights movement. And the first ever UK Pride took place in July 1972. As we move through today's discussion, it's important to remember the reason for Pride and I guess not be distracted by the glamorous event it's become today. So pinkwashing itself, for those listening that don't know what it is or necessarily understand, it's a practice of acknowledging and promoting civil liberties of the LGBTQ plus community but only superficially as a ploy to divert attention from allegiances and activities that are in fact hostile to such liberties. So I'd like to throw the question out there. Do we think it affects how we engage with brand? So Will, if I start with you, do you feel if a brand is chucking a rainbow on their logo and saying that they're inclusive, but not actively having any policies in place behind closed doors, does that affect the way you will engage with that brand? So the short answer for me is yes. I mean, I think my other point I'll make initially is, I think hearing from Hannah there is, uh, Hannah and I are fortunate, I was about to say lucky, but I think fortunate that our businesses have an open and honest 
culture where you can be true to who you are. I think other businesses don't have that or certainly have got some way to go to becoming more inclusive and supportive of staff. And I think that's why I personally haven't ever needed to go to our CEO and suggest that we you know, change our logo for a period of four weeks to give an impression that we're LGBT friendly because it's a rainbow, whereas our focus is much more about the culture that we create that people can be whoever they are and be supported in their endeavours. So does it affect my view on some of those businesses? Yes. Am I conscious of it? Yes, I think I am. I mean, there's you know organisations like Pret and Marks and Spencers offer incentives during Pride Month in previous years where the rainbow goes on the door and there's Pret coffees, I think, at discount. It would be nice to understand that actually it's not just there for show. You know, a dog isn't just a present for Christmas, but actually there is something more impactful happening in those organisations. And I think some of them do have that, but I think some businesses take it as a an easy way out to pretend that they're attempting to do something. The organisation that just posts about, you know, charity events on certain days of the year, but actually if you were to look underneath the skin of it, there's little action. So I'm more focused on reading and trying to understand those businesses that care about it 365 days a year, not just the 30 days where they can make an extra pound on a coffee or get a few more people through their door. And that money doesn't actually go to support an LGBT endeavour, but ultimately just goes into the, the P&L of those businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Completely get that. Hannah, what's your opinion and thoughts on this? Yeah, I mean, mine's slightly different to Will's. I guess the first thing is I appreciative the fact that these companies are recognising pride. They're saying, look, actually, we're in support of this movement. And perhaps, yeah, there's room for improvement of what they do with that. But I'm pleased that they at least recognise it and raise awareness, which is a starting point. You know, it's a journey for everybody. But interestingly, I did a bit of research before this today because I figured I really don't know that much about anything. And uh, I looked at some brands that are really proactive in the space. So I've got a few bits to share with you, which I thought was super interesting. So one was Mac Makeup. So in 1994, they created a Viva Glam line. And they started off by sending the proceeds to HIV and AIDS charities. And they raised over 500 million, as well as huge global awareness with this sort of like strapline of all ages, all races, all sexes. So I thought, amazing. That was quite a while ago that they started the movement. And I've got a few other examples of real leaders in this space. So Levi's, another huge brand that we all know, they were one of the first companies in 1992 to give advantages to same-sex couples in terms of policies in the workplace. And they raised a huge amount of money to Outright Action International, which is to advance human rights for LGBTQI or plus. Sorry, I get the acronyms wrong. I'm dyslexic somewhere. But yeah, they raised a huge amount for them. Other examples are Converse raised 1.3 million in the last six years for LGBTQ charities. And the last one, which I thought was phenomenal, Ben and Jerry's in 1989 allowed health insurance for the domestic partners of same-sex couples, which were one of the first major companies ever to sort of recognise that that is a real partnership just because it's not a heterosexual marriage doesn't take away from the fact that it's still a loved one, a partner. So I thought this was incredible just to see that, yes, there are companies that pinkwash, but also the ones I've just given are really supportive of this movement. And it's quite amazing to see. So in answer to your question, does it affect how I engage with brands? After reading this, hell yeah, 100%. 
I'll be buying a lot more Ben and Jerry's, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic segue in, actually. To kind of bring it on to policies, I guess, and kind of possible assumptions that have been made through your experience within the industry. So a lot of the time I've spoken to quite a few people within the industry that happen to be part of the LGBTQ plus community. And if they aren't outwardly necessarily speaking about their sexuality or their sexual orientation, have therefore had assumptions made at certain events about the gender of their partner. I wondered if it's happened to both of you. So Hannah, I I remember we spoke at one point regarding an event one time and someone mentioned how your partner is. Were you able to kind of delve a bit deeper onto that? Yeah, of course. So I mean, I guess I'm quite used to it now, which doesn't make it right. But I always get, first of all, the presumption that my partner's a male Everyone's like, oh, you got a boyfriend, a husband? No, actually, I'm a lesbian. And they're like, oh, sorry, well, you don't look like one. What does a lesbian look like? Tell me. And then you just see the, the blood drain from their face. Or another one I get, and I had fairly recently, was like, so how does it work? And I'm like, what work? Well, you know. No, I don't know. Please do elaborate. What do you mean? And what they're referring to is sexually, how does it work? And I'm just like, first of all, absolutely inappropriate for a work conversation and no this doesn't happen in at UTB it's at work events I've seen this I would never ask a couple so you know how do you guys have sex it's just not appropriate and I think because there's a lot of curiosity or a lack of awareness or education people seem to be particularly interested in that area and I just think it's crazy that that's even allowed (laughs) to be honest Completely agree. And that kind of could bring us on to a policy to discuss on assumptions. So a lot of companies have policies in place of where it's gender neutral terms um, should be used when speaking unprofessionally in a way of just getting to know your colleague, using gender neutral terms and having training on that. Yeah, Will, I'd like to put it to you as well. How have you felt at work events and different things that your experience has been? I think I had one extreme example, which was an industry event sort of fairly on in my journey within the industry. And uh, a comedian was, was given a remark about being in his mum setting him up for an arranged marriage. And he'd had so many disappointing dates with women that she was now going to move on to introducing to men because she'd exhausted all of her options for him. And someone on the table suggested that that's the problem with gay people. They always make it about themselves. To which my host proudly called them out and said that was not so appropriate to say on the table. And to which I responded with, that must mean you don't want me on your table because I'm making it all about myself. At which point the guest was quite humbly apologising, but the point had been made, and it's a bit useless 30 seconds later after making the comment, to be apologetic because it was your fault, but you just didn't want to share it. But I think Hannah's point about someone asking or sort of saying, suggesting she doesn't look like a lesbian, it's the question I've had at both an industry event, again, not related to Brightstar or Sirius, but I had it in my general personal life, which is, you know, when did you choose to be gay? Well, well, there wasn't a date that I woke up and decided. It wasn't a, a choice about what job to apply for or what meal to order at a restaurant. I didn't choose to be gay. And and my response was firmly back to the individual and then has been on or every occasion I've been asked the same day that they decided to be straight. You know, that was the point I decided. It was not a decision. It was a journey that I came on to understand that I was gay, but it wasn't a decision-making matrix that I had. 
But the other thing that we've seen, and, and I wonder as we start to go forward over, over the coming years, the idea that as part of the mortgage application process, I had a, a friend who's gay and who was going through his mortgage application, not through us and not through UTV, I'll hasten to add, who was asked about the income of him and his partner and was asked, you know, what does your wife earn? And he said, well, I have a husband. And he said, oh, so I assume that you're the, the man in the relationship and so have the highest salary. And it was sort of a, a perplexed moment of trying to remove the, the homosexuality point and understanding, okay, we've got some deep misogyny here outside of the fact that obviously the woman must earn less if you were choosing that in any relationship, if there's two men, that one must be the non-high-earning female compared to the high-earning male. And it was just the most perplexing 10 minutes, I think, that my friend had with this mortgage lender, or mortgage broker, sorry, suffice to say they didn't work with that mortgage broker. And I just think it's some inherent lack of appreciation, but this idea that, that, that boundaries are seemingly free for people. Hannah's comment that someone asks, you know, so how does it work? It's a question that you wouldn't ask it in any other scenario. I don't ask a straight couple, well, how does it work for you? You know, but there's suddenly this barrier that doesn't exist if you want to ask someone because of pure intrigue, people feel a right to ask. So it's a real catalogue of issues that I think that come up. And the stories, I think, certainly, you know, Hannah and I probably got a similar approach that we're used to it. That's not a justification that it can, it's right or it should carry on. But at a point, you feel like, I've just got to laugh at this because what do you mean, when did I choose to be gay? What do you mean you don't look like a lesbian, Hannah? It, they're just ridiculous comments to make in 2023, you know, let alone at any other point in our history. I completely agree with you there. In terms of switching it around then and how, how moving forward and helping the industry to kind of broaden its mind as a whole, what steps do you feel can be taken or have already been taken that will allow for a safer, more inclusive work environment? Hannah, um, I'll throw it out to you. Yeah, of course. I mean, it's a very good question because if you start to look at the workforce that are coming up through the ranks now, millennials, Gen Z, like deeply care about inclusivity and about having, you know, a comfortable and diverse workplace with equal rights. This is so important and it's becoming more and more important as we have, have younger generations come through. So one thing I think is a really fantastic feature of working here at United Trust Bank is I've gone through the policy, first of all, and I've also, I'm part of the Diversity and Inclusion Forum here. So I'll start with policy and then I'll go into DNI. So spoken to HR and I was like, you know, how does it work in this respect? And the policy actually says and covers carers, biological parents, mother's partners, child's adopter or husband or partner of the father or adopting couple. So it literally covers every scenario. And what it aims to do is be equal to all parties, aims to be completely fair and also open to the fact that it can be any combination the sort of leave I was looking at was like parental leave for childbirth or adopting a child and the rules are the same for whether you are as long as you're not the one that didn't have the child the rules are exactly the same for everyone which I think is fantastic and the terminology is really open and inclusive too and when I was speaking to our HR team they said look you know we are still learning we're not the biggest company in the world so we haven't experienced all different scenarios but they make it open and they make it fair. And I feel completely comfortable to say, hey, look, hang on a minute. Have we thought of this? Have we done this? And I know that they would listen 
because it's a lot of what we cover in our diversity inclusion forum. So we've got two levels, and I forgive me, I probably get the terminology wrong, but the one I belong to is the one where the staff members from all the different teams, we meet every two weeks, and we look at all different areas of the business and the culture to make it inclusive for all different protected characteristics, but also the mainstream and just general life things that people are going to go through whilst at work. And then we've got the one that's the sort of board members and the senior members meet at to look at what we've brought up and implement it. And I think it's great, you know, the fact that we are so open, so progressive. I think it really does enable the opportunity for people to be themselves and make the business better. Absolutely agree. So having that forum in place is something that you feel can be implemented across the board in all companies, say within the financial sector, something pointing at what they call allies and someone there to be a voice for those that may not necessarily have the confidence nor want to speak up. A hundred percent. And it's always saying, you know, anyone can join. If you don't want to be part of it yourself or you're a bit nervous, you know, there are dedicated people that you can speak to that will have that voice for you, you know, as you can tell, I'm quite a confident person. So I'm happy to listen to your ideas and voice it for you if you don't want to do that in front of a group or if you just want to write about it after. I don't see why all businesses couldn't implement something like this. And I think it's really made the bank an amazing place to work. That's really, yeah, really lovely to hear. Will, same point to you, really. Is there anything you feel that could be implemented across the board? Yeah, I mean, I think firstly, representation matters and, and that, that's not just relevant for this podcast, but probably lots of the podcasts that you undertake. I think there's a point about progress. And I should take Hannah's point earlier about maybe I should be slightly less or slightly more forgiving for companies that, that change their logos. Because if we think about it, all progress matters. And we go back 20 years ago this year was when Section 28 was repealed in this country. 2005 was, was civil partnerships coming in. And only 10 years ago, my husband and I could legally get married. We did it two years ago. But so progress, there's, you know, the slow hand of progress does move in the right direction. So I think there's a point that government, I think, need to look a little bit at this. You know, my husband and I have started the adoption process and I'm 100% supported by my organisation here in Brightstar and Sirius to have the equal rights and footing that a heterosexual couple would have. But government do have some strange anomalies, which I think need ironing out. In terms of a same-sex partners adopting, one has to take official adoption leave and one has to take maternity leave. So by definition, one is regarded as a mother and one is regarded as a father as much as they're trying to move the, the terminology. And in terms of the placement meetings on an adoption side of things, one is designated the main adopter and is allowed time off work. The adopter's partner has to take unpaid time off. So I think there's a point that the government need to do something on here to try and create some, some true equity and equality on that side of things. Because not every organization, such as what, what Hannah's referred to at UTB and, and myself here, not every company may be offering the same consistent and fair and open approach to supporting its workforce. So I think that's a, a key point that making sure we get true equality on that side of things. I think having role models within our businesses and having champions and, and and creating an open environment. Some stats that the, that the TUC and BBC published were only one in eight employers monitor any LGBT pay gap. And at the moment, the indication is that when the TUC last did this, their research suggested there's a 16% LGBT pay gap, meaning that LGBT workers were effectively earning 
over six and a half thousand pounds less per year. So I think what measured gets done, as I've I've learned certainly within our business. So I think there's a point there that, that has to be looked at. So actually looking at the policies in place. And on that side, they estimate that only one in three companies who have LGBT policies have updated them in the last 12 months, let alone companies that don't have those policies. So backing up the forums, backing up the representation, backing up the visible allies with tangible policies that are in place for those businesses. And I think what Hannah spoke about is really refreshing to hear that actually organizations don't have to admit from day one that they've understood all the nuances, all the different scenarios that might happen between how partnerships are structured, how families are are structured. You know, the, the typical 2.4 family does not exist necessarily nowadays. So an organization that's willing to say, we've got a broad understanding, we've got a broad framework for how we can support you, but come to us, speak about your individual circumstances, speak about how we can maybe help you on leave, speak about how we may support you in your day-to-day work. Let us be able to talk to you about where you don't feel confident, where there is workplace bullying, where there is issues to be addressed in the workplace, but, and actually just creating a really open culture where there are allies, there are role models, there are people you can speak to. And these support groups and these forums don't just have to be people that identify as being part of the LGBT community because we won't break down some of the barriers, we won't make some of the advances unless we've got visible allies and business leaders who are just that, allies for the people they work with and for and govern their businesses. Well, really, that's the message of Pride itself, isn't it? It's just spreading the love and, you know, inclusion through all walks of life. It's important to note that obviously, although being a part of the community, there's others that have it totally different to the way us three have had it. So within obviously the community, there's the intersectionality side of it. So coming from different religious backgrounds, having to have that part of your life questioned on top of who you are as a person in your sexual orientation, and then having to speak about that openly within work, I can imagine can be extremely daunting to many. So as you say, having that forum there for people to be able to open up talk about themselves openly in a safe space and environment it just encourages that inclusion for all and it hopefully as the industry continues to grow we'll be able to see these forums and networks slowly slowly grow and become way more inclusive and diverse for all those in all walks of life as at the end of the day what pride is there for 100 it's uh, yes agreed it's Fantastic. I must say, if there's anything that you wanted to kind of say to our listeners today, what would be your one message and takeaway from this? So I'd say that educate yourselves, find out more. You know, my husband isn't from a white British background. And I learned when I started dating him you know, over four years ago that the you, you sort of see racism and you understand that it happens, but sometimes you don't appreciate it in details. And I picked one small story where we would traditionally go to the O2 sort of every other week in a weekend, see the shops, go to the cinema or something. And there's a security barrier there. And this is not trying to call out the O2 or any other individuals in particular. But typically, if I was carrying the rucksack, I would never get checked. Typically, if he's carrying a rucksack, he would 99% of the time get checked. And I think when you see it up close and personal, when you understand the inherent issues that people face, you really open your eyes. And so I would just encourage people to do the same on any issue. You know, now after this podcast, maybe just have a Google, have a read, try and understand, grab a book that's been written by an LGBT author or visit Stonewall's website and look about the practices you could put in place in your businesses. Listen back to this podcast or share it or think about what you can do in your business. Just 
try and educate yourself and, and, and share this with others and talk to people to just try and keep on moving progress in the right direction and to make yourself more informed because the more informed we can make ourselves, the better we can all be. Absolutely agreed. Fantastic. And Hannah, what would you say? I mean, to be honest, I couldn't have said it better. Well, I think it's about education. It's about listening and like, no, we don't know everything or really, I don't know anything, to be honest. But keeping an open mind and when you come across something you don't understand, taking a few minutes to try and read or try to learn about someone's experience will really help everybody progress together and sharing what you've learned as well. When you learn something you didn't know before, passing on that message is really, really important. And, you know, progress is progress. We're getting there. And it's nice to see. Yes, slowly but surely, we'll definitely get there. Uh, Well, thank you both for joining me today and offering your insight on such a relevant topic in today's society. It's fantastic that our industry is looking to progress further with support for LGBTQ plus people from all backgrounds and understand what it takes to allow this to happen. Further information on what can be done to increase inclusivity within the workplace for LGBTQ plus people can be found on the Stonewall website. Thank you again to Will and Hannah and thank you for listening. Until next time, bye. If you have enjoyed this episode and want diversity and inclusion to have as wide an audience as possible, make sure you share with your friends and colleagues and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode.